to the High Praises Church podcast. We hope you are blessed by today's sermon. Now here's lead pastor, Chris Starr. talking with a group of pastors yesterday morning. I had to go teach uh, at the MIP, the ministerial internship program. They asked me to come do a couple classes on leadership. Afterwards, I was talking to some pastors. I said, you know, um, sometimes I teach, and sometimes I teach, preach, and sometimes I preach, teach, and then sometimes I just preach. And so today, I think I'm just going to throw down and preach a little bit. So y'all just want to just have some camp meeting and preaching? All right, I just tell y'all that because that way y'all want to just get in on it. We're Pentecostal. You can help me out. Now, if you don't, I preach anyway. But uh, I feel like the Lord give, give, just give me something powerful. I tell you, we had church in the last service. So uh, I want to I wanna, I wanna just read the word. Let's read the word. Matthew chapter 16. Keep your Bibles open there because I'm going to preach this text beginning of verse 13. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples saying, who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And so they said, well, some say John the Baptist, some Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. Then he said to them, but who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter, Peter answered and said, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said to him, blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah. Bar means son, so Simon, son of Jonah. For flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. Can you say amen? All right, you can be seated. I know you've been standing a while. I'm just going to dive right into this as we just read the stories there. Jesus is in a certain city uh, traveling as he did so often as an itinerant preacher. He's in Caesarea Philippi with his apostles, has happened so often. But on this particular occasion, on this particular day, he did something to them that he had not done before. He asked them a series of questions. The first question, we just read it, was simply this. Who do men say that I am? In other words... How does the world look at me? People who are not followers of me, what, what do they see? What, how do they identify? What is their uh, concept, excuse me, or their image of me? And so the disciples responded to his question. And, uh, you know, might have been Bartholomew. He said, well, now, Jesus, uh, some people think you're John the Baptist. He had his head cut off, but they think that he's come back alive in you. And then another one of the disciples, maybe it was Matthew, uh, said, well, Jesus, some of them think that you're the Old Testament prophet Elijah. And then another one, maybe James, the son of Alphaeus, said, well, uh, I've heard, Jesus, that a lot of people think you're the Old Testament prophet Jeremiah. And then maybe Peter's brother Andrew spoke up and said, well, now, Lord, uh, I've heard a lot of people say they just think you're one of the Old Testament prophets. Now, what's so interesting about this is that um, the general consent from all of these views that they were getting outside of the disciples is that Jesus was a human, that he uh, either that or had taken on the form of some other human being, but never once did anyone say he was divine. Did you notice that? Now, I want to I bring that into this 21st century because I think that what was true then is very true today. You could get the same responses from people today, uh, people who don't go to church, people who haven't been exposed to Christianity, they have a similar image of Jesus. So if you say, you know, who is Jesus to you? They would say, well, he was a good man, or he was a Jewish rabbi, or he was a good teacher, or he, he is the 
the, the, the person who founded the Christian religion or he was a religious activist. Uh, they would come up with all kinds of terms. And to many people today, Jesus is no different than Buddha. He's no different than Muhammad. And, and he was a significant human being in history. They will admit that, but you will not get them to say that he was God or the son of God. Even if you got a Jewish person of the Jewish faith, they would recognize that Jesus was a Jew that he was a Jewish man that lived in the first century, that he was a rabbi, but you're not going to get a Jewish believer, uh, you know, in the Jewish faith, that is, to say that Jesus was God. All right, that's the first question. Then Jesus asked the second question. He said, all right, guys, who do you think I am? In other words, you're my followers. You are the ones who trust in me and believe in me. What is your mental image of me? How do you see me? And Peter before any of the others could even open their mouths, responded and said, you are the Christ, you are the Messiah, you are the anointed one, the one that was prophesied of in the Old Testament, but then he took a step further and he said, you are the son of the living God. Okay, in other words, Peter was saying to Jesus, you are no ordinary man. As a matter of fact, Jesus, nobody ever spoke like you spoke. Nobody ever love people like you love people. Nobody ever performed miracles like you performed miracles. You are more than a man. You are divine. You are God robed in the flesh. Now, the reason I put emphasis on these two questions is because I think this, many other pastors think this. These are two important questions because they're questions that should be answered not only by Jesus' disciples. They're, they're questions that should be answered by us. Okay, we need to ask ourselves the question, who is Jesus to me? Why is that so important? Listen, because your mental image of Jesus determines the image of him that you convey to others. Whatever he is to you, that's the image you're going to convey to other people. How you identify him, it will be reflected in your life. And how you identify him will be reflected in this church. So let's just talk about high praises. If Jesus is just a man to us, for example, then this place is simply going to be a human institution run like a human organization. But, as is true, if he is more than a man to us, he is God Okay, he is more than here. Here's what we're going to think. This image is going to affect us. If he's God, if he's Savior to us, then this church and the people in this church, whether we're in this building or outside of this building, will be a living reflection of God's presence in the world, of God's power in this world, offering hope and offering redemption to people who need to be saved. Now, Peter's answer, Jesus said, came to him by divine revelation. He did not manufacture that simply out of his logic or out of his reasoning. God spoke to him, planted this in his mind and in his spirit, God the Father. Let me just say something that I really believe. I really believe the church needs a fresh revelation of who Jesus is and a fresh revelation of what he can do. 
Everybody in this room has a mental concept of what Jesus is about and what the church is about. And some of our ideas are right and some of our ideas are wrong. But brothers and sisters, we, at least us, we need to get in the word and we need to read it. We need to study it and we need to see Jesus for who he really is and embrace him as that person and then discover the purpose of his church and what we're all about. That's just it in a nutshell. Because the church is not about a man, and the church is not about a group of people. The church is about Jesus. And I'm just going to say today, we can never talk too much about Jesus. We can't sing too much about Jesus. We can't talk too long about Jesus. And we can't sing too long about Jesus because it's all about Jesus. If we canceled everything else and somebody got up here for an hour and a half and just talked about Jesus, we would do no damage and no harm because we better lift up Jesus. We better talk about Jesus. The church is all about Jesus. Y'all, we need to preach Jesus. We need to sing about Jesus. We need to pray to Jesus. We need to read about Jesus. We ought to love Jesus. We ought to serve Jesus. We ought to worship Jesus because we need to lift up Jesus because it's all about him. Jesus said in John 3, and if I be lifted up, I will draw all people to myself. That's what he said. Now, I know as a good preacher who exegetes the scripture properly that primarily Jesus is talking about when they crucified him on the cross and they would literally lift him up in the air and all the people around would look at him. That is the primary meaning of that verse, okay? It is descriptive in many ways of what was going to happen when he died on the cross. But I am convinced solidly that Jesus meant more when he said that. I believe there was some symbolism and representation there that not only was it for the first century, but it's for us in the 21st century. Yeah, we don't have him hanging on a cross anymore, but we've got the story of him hanging on the cross and Jesus said, if you will elevate me, if you will promote me, if you'll talk about me, if you'll tell the gospel, then that's how sinners will be saved and backsliders restored and lives will be radically changed as we lift up Jesus and promote Jesus. Whatever else we talk about in the church, get it out of the way and somebody talk about Jesus because that's what's going to change lives. Hallelujah. So verse 18 tells me about the church of Jesus. They both go together and verse 18 tells me that Jesus is building the church. So I just want to preach right now about Jesus building the church. And he's not building a 501c3. He's not building a social club. I've been in a few churches that were social clubs. They went through the motion and had something called a service, but you didn't feel anything when you walked in. You didn't feel anything while you were there, and you didn't feel anything when you left, and nobody got changed. But everybody had fun. Now, that's a social club. He did not come, he said, to build a religious institution. We got enough of those. He didn't come even to build a denomination. Y'all know there are denominations that think they're the only church going to heaven? Okay, but let me just tell you something. I guess we're out. We're not one of those. But I'm telling you, Jesus didn't come to build any of that. He came to build a church. And let's just get something straight. Jesus is the one doing the building. Now, I'm a pastor, and every pastor I know, unless there's something extraordinarily different about that pastor, I want to say wrong with them, but I won't do that. I'll say different with them, even though I'm thinking wrong. 
is that a little too, little too transparent there, is that, is that every pastor I know is concerned about church growth. They want their church to grow. And let me just say something to you as, as, as my family and, and, and our church. We ought to be, as a body, concerned about church growth. We ought to be concerned about high praises growing. Everybody here. All right, that, that's just the way it is. And so I've heard lectures. I've been to conferences, seminars. I've read books. Uh, I've spoken with the experts to try to discover ways that I can make the, uh, this church grow. And I've been exposed to tactics and strategies and programs, and I love it. A lot of them, they would actually guarantee to bring success that your church would grow. Some of them I've tried. Some of them I have not tried. But I'm going to tell you something. Pastoring you now for almost 21 years, okay, doing this for over 31. Let me just tell you what I've, just let me tell you what the old man's found out. Here's what I've discovered, okay. The growth of the church doesn't hinge on a tactic or a strategy or something they tell you in a seminar. You can glean a lot of good stuff out of that. But if you're going to talk about the growth of the church, it hinges on the work of Jesus through his people. That's how the church grows. He is the builder. Okay? He, and not only the, the carpenter of Nazareth has become the master architect of a, of a living edifice made up of living souls called us, and he's building this thing composed of born-again believers. And, and so he says he's building this church. And you've also, you might notice that it says that it's his church. He said, upon this rock I will build my church. Now, I, I don't, I'm not great with English. I know I'm a writer and author, but, you know, I don't, I don't, I, I don't like to start talking about all the, I, I hate, how many hate parsing sentences when you're in school? That, see, like, they don't even know what that is now. They quit. Thank God. Thank God. They quit. Parsing But, you know, it's just trying to keep up verbs and adverbs and nouns and adjectives and, and all that and pronouns. I don't, I don't, I'm not real good with all that. I can use it, okay? But I have enough sense to know that the word my is the possessive case of the pronoun I, okay? And the key word is possessive, all right? So my talks about ownership and possessing something. So when Jesus says, like, okay, this is my little town. It's not yours. It's mine, okay? And, and, and it's, I have my towel to wipe my sweat on my head. Now, you don't want my towel, do you? Okay, so it's my town. When Jesus said, upon this rock, I'll build my church, he is saying, he means for us to know that it solely belongs to him. So I'm going to tell you this morning, the church doesn't belong to the pastors. The church doesn't belong to the elders. The church doesn't belong to the deacons. The church doesn't belong to the church of God in Cleveland, Tennessee. The church doesn't belong to the board of trustees. It doesn't belong to the charter members. It doesn't belong to the strongest tithe payers. The church doesn't belong to the most popular personalities in this congregation or all of the financial contributors put together. It doesn't belong to you, and it doesn't belong to me. It belongs to Jesus. Come on, y'all. High praises is Jesus' church. 
and you couldn't afford this church anyway if you wanted to buy it and the price is way too high and you don't have the proper currency anyway. Peter said in 1 Peter 1, and you know that you were not redeemed with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of the Lamb. You don't buy the church with your money. The only way anybody can be redeemed to get in the church is through the shed blood of Jesus. And 2,000 years ago, he shed his ruby red blood and gave his life for the church. And that's why we all ought to get shirts that says, I'm God's property, because it's true. We all belong to him. The cross is God's receipt that he paid the price for us. Hallelujah. And by the way, if it's his church, he can do whatever he wants with it. Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to confess. I'm going to have a cathartic moment. You say, Pastor, you do those often. Well, I feel better when I go home. You are my support group. Sometimes I have had moments, foolish moments, weak moments, stupid moments. When I've got it in my head that this church called High Praises is my church. 21 years, I've had a few of those. And I've been frustrated because my church didn't grow as fast as I wanted it to. I don't like seeing empty seats. I want them all filled. So I've been frustrated. And there have been times I have wrestled with jealousy over other churches that were growing faster than my church. My church. By the way, it's my church. See? And then I have been hurt when somebody decided to quit coming here and left my church. I took it personally. And then what made it worse is they went over to one of those churches, those other churches that I was jealous about that was growing faster than my church. They just rubbed salt in the wound. See, why do they have to go to that church? Why can't they come to my church? I'm just, I'm venting. Now this one, just hang on, but I'm confessing. I have been upset with members, probably some of you. Because I just got it in my head that you don't care about this church like I care about this church. You don't care about it. You don't feel like this church. You don't feel like I do about my church. Y'all go up to the mountains and down to the beach and off to the lake and get your camper and go off just 10 minutes up the road. But you can't come to church on Sunday morning because you're camping over there. Having church on the lake, right? I'm just venting. Y'all let it out. It'll be all right. He'll look at somebody and say, he'll feel better. Just leave him alone. He'll feel better. And I've gotten upset with you, and I've been upset, and I've been like Elijah. God, nobody's serving you but me. Nobody cares about my church but me. My church, see, my church. And then, oh, this is one's got bad. I'm not making, I'm not up here being funny. I'm telling you, 21 years. Then when I let it really get to me, then I started questioning my leadership ability. And I started saying, well, it's all my fault. It's my fault. My church didn't grow because it's my fault. Evidently, I'm failing. Evidently, I'm, I'm, and then I started questioning whether or not I've needed to be here, questioned my calling here, and I've had more times than I can count when I thought maybe I just need to resign. Maybe I just need to step down and go find me another church that'll be my church, and maybe they'll get with me. Just look at somebody and say, bless his heart. Now, let me tell you what God's done in those few times in the years. 
after he let me have a pity party like Elijah did, then I heard the voice of Jesus say, Sistar, let me remind you of something, boy. It's not your church. It's my church. You didn't buy it. I did. You don't grow it. I do. It's not your church. It's my church. And when I heard the voice of Jesus, then I fell on my face and said, Oh, Jesus, I'm sorry. I have been a fool. Forgive me. I repent. I'm sorry, Lord, because I may be the shepherd, but you're the chief shepherd. You see, the Bible says one souls and one waters, but it's God who gives the increase. And let me just say to you today, here's the reality. I'm going to do all that I can to grow this church. You should do all you can to grow this church. But when it's all said and done, there comes a point when only God will be able to do what only he can do to build this church. And we're just going to have to depend on him. But let me just say something I really want to say this morning. I'm going to tell you today, God's not through building high praises church. The construction project is not over. There are still souls to be saved. There are still backsliders to come home to Jesus. There are still people that need to be healed. There are marriages that need to be restored. There is the gospel that needs to be proclaimed. There are mission works that need to be done. God's still building his church. And I say, let's get in here with him and work with him and build the church with him. How about it, somebody? Hallelujah. He's building his church. Now, he said he's building his church on a rock. Upon this rock, I'll build my church. And it's interesting that he was speaking to Peter when he said this. And Jesus did a play on words. Let me show you this. He said, you are Peter. And upon this rock... I will build my church. Peter is the Greek word Petros. It means a small rock or a fragment of a rock. That's what Peter's name means. So he said, you are Peter, Petros, a small rock. But I'm not going to build the church on you. See, the Catholic church says that the church was built on Peter, that he's the rock. He's the first pope of the Catholic church. But we don't believe that. We're Protestants. We don't believe that. But he said, upon this rock, and he used the word Petra. Petra, not Petros. It's a foundational rock or a boulder. Now, how many of you are old enough like me, you remember there once was a Christian band named Petra? How many of you admit that you listened to it? I did too. I was a teenager. And I remember when Petra came out, all eyes all into that. They were, like a, they, were like a, they were like a rock band, a Christian rock band, like the first Christian rock band. And I must have been my only little radical stage in my teenage years. I was all into, at least it was a Christian rock band. You know, it wasn't Kiss or something like that, and so or Metallica, and so I was into Petra, and I remember reading Petra. As a matter of fact, he's gonna hate this, but Jeremy's sitting over here, and he was he sat in front of me. And I I looked at his shirt. He's wearing a Petra shirt today. He's got actually got a vintage Petra shirt on. He, he was a groupie. I don't know. Petra, I love listening to Petra. Petra is foundational rock. Here's what Jesus said to Peter. He said. I'm going to build the rock, not on you, or build the church rather, not on you, but on someone else. Well, well, who's the church built on? Jesus wasn't going to say, upon this rock. But he should have, he could have, because he is a, Paul calls him in, in his letters, the spiritual rock. Okay, the Bible says there's no other foundation laid for the church other than Jesus Christ. Okay, he is the chief cornerstone of the church. 
So the church is built on Jesus. Y'all, if you don't have Jesus, you don't have anything. I mean, we just might as well throw the thing away because it's all about Jesus. But I want to tell you that I'm convinced there is a little bit more to this. I think it's more than just that Jesus is the rock. I believe there's more because he said, Peter, you're Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. And he, and he could have said, on me, I'll build my church. on," But he did, he said, on this rock. So it's like he's almost pointing at something else. Well, what's the only other thing that happened? Peter made a confession that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Now, let me ask you something. How did you get saved and come into the church? How do people get saved what is the foundation of the church? How is it that we get people in and we build the church? we got to build it on something. The Bible says that if you will confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus Christ and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. You have to confess that you're a sinner. A sinner. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So I'm going to say that I believe with that that the, how we get saved, it's still all about Jesus, okay? It's still all about Jesus. But when we confess our sins and when we confess that Jesus is the one who can save us and we repent and we ask Jesus, Jesus to forgive us, woo, he comes down, washes all our sins away, cleanses us, changes us, radically transforms us. Jesus comes into our heart, and that's how the church grows, and that's how the church is built, because it's by people coming to Christ, and when we elevate Jesus, then people are saved, and they confess Jesus, and they come into the church. That's how you get saved. And by the way, who is the church? Who is the church? Now, you know, there could be a lot of answers right now. Some people say, well, Pastor, all the people in this room, aren't we the church? And then others may say, well, you know, maybe it's, maybe it's the members of the church. That's, they make up the church. Or maybe it's the charter members. Or maybe, maybe, it's, maybe it's the denomination. You know, I already said there's some denominations that think they're the church. None of those answers are necessarily true. Now, let me say something to you today, okay? Listen to me. You can be in a church but not, still not be in the church. Are you with me? You can be in a church and still not be in the church. And by the way, let's just talk about this. How do you grow a church? There's a difference between growing a church by reaching people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's how you build. There's a difference between building a church and increasing your attendance. A lot of churches are recruiting. They're recruiting. You with me? They're trying to increase attendance. They don't care who you who you are, where you come from. They just want they want um, rear ends in the seat. And and because they have lots of them, oh, aren't, we're building the church. No, you're not. You're just putting rear ends in the seat and increasing attendance. Because if those people are coming Sunday after Sunday, that's wonderful, they're coming to church. But if they're still leaving and, and Sunday night through Saturday night, they're, they're still in their sins, they're still in bondage, the devil's still in control of their life, Jesus is not their Lord, then they're not in the church. They may come to church, but they're not in the church. Y'all, it is only when you confess your sins and you are saved and you are born again that you become a member of this believer, of a community of believers, and you are part of the church. I don't want people just coming here because it's a church. I want you to come here because you're in the church. I want to see everybody get in the church. Yeah, let's invite people to church because if they get here, they're going to hear the gospel. But I want you to do more than come to this church and be in a church. I want you to be in the church. How many... 
How many are with me on this this morning? Come on, just give Jesus a hand clap of praise. We're building the church. So to be in his church, Jesus has to be more to you than the baby at Christmas or the man on the cross at Easter time or the main figure of Christianity or a character in the Bible or the God of your mama and your daddy. He must be the Lamb of God who has taken away your sin and who lives in your heart by faith. Then you're in the church. Hallelujah. And then he said the gates of hell would not prevail against the church. That's what he said, didn't he? Now let me just teach you something here. The gates of hell the gate is, is literally, in the Greek, the gates of Hades. Now, in the Jewish mindset, when Jesus spoke this in the gospel, the gates of Hades was the doorway to the place of death. Hades was the abode or the dwelling place of people when they died. As a matter of fact, before Jesus rose from the dead, died on the cross, rose from the dead, there were two compartments in the heart of the earth. One is called Lower Hades. One is called Upper Hades. Lower Hades is where sinful people went when they died, and it was a place of torment, and they were separated from God forever. Uh, upper Hades was called Abraham's bosom. It was a place of comfort and uh, maybe kind of like, like a Motel 6 or, a, or the Rich Carlton. I don't know. It's one, I don't know. We'll ask, we'll ask people when we get to heaven. But it was a place of comfort. It's called Abraham's bosom. And, and, but you were there because you were separate. See, Satan had the keys of death and hell. So even though you were separated God from death, you weren't in his presence. Okay, the good news is when Jesus died on the cross and went, and, he's, and so his body is lifeless, but his spirit is alive, his spirit went down into the heart of the earth, into upper Hades, and he preached to the spirits in the prison and said, I'm the one y'all been looking for all these years. All you prophets that prophesied, all you people that were offering sacrifices, I'm the Lamb of God, and I just paid the ultimate price. And if you put your faith on me, we can leave this place. As a matter of fact, I'm going to use my little analogy. We're going to get out of the Motel 6, and we're going to the rich Carlton because I'm going to take you to heaven. And the Bible says he emptied out hell, led captivity captive, and, and ascended on high and high. And now to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. That's why he told the thief on the cross, he didn't say, today you will be with me in Hades. He said, today you will be with me in paradise. Okay. Woo, hallelujah. So the gates of Hades is the doorway to death. And what was he saying? I think there are two things. I think first of all, because in their mind, that's the place where you go when you die and you're separated from God. And I think what Jesus was saying was, you have no idea what's about to happen through the church. I'm going to die. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give my life. I'm going to come out of that tomb, and I'm going to snatch the keys from the devil. Because in Revelation, Jesus says, behold, I am the one who holds the keys of death and Hades. So he's got the keys to that place now. And, and, and he said, you have no idea what's going to happen, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to conquer sin and death, and I'm going to start redeeming people and saving people, and, and, and they're going to be born again, and I'm going to create this thing called the church, and they're going to preach the gospel, and here's what's going to happen. People are going to get saved, and they're going to get born again, and when the breath leaves their body, they're not going to go to Hades anymore. The gates of hell will not prevail anymore. They're not going to be separated from God anymore. When I get through, when you die, you're 
you're going to go to heaven, and I'm, you're going to be victorious. And that's why we have to preach that the gates of hell shall not prevail. The gospel liberates sinners, listen to me, from an eternity in hell, and it sets them free and heads them in the direction to a new door. It's called the pearly gates of heaven, where there you have a place waiting on you in the Father's house. And what does that have to do with the church? We've got the good news. And if we'll just preach Jesus and tell him the good news, the church has the power to change the eternal direction and destination of a sinner and move it to Jesus and heaven for all eternity. That's the power of this group right here called High Praises Church. Y'all see this? Gates of hell won't be able to stand up against, won't prevail any longer. I think there's a second I think there's a second meaning here. You know, a lot of times when you talk about the gates of hell, you start talking about hell, you start talking about the devil. And, and, and so I don't think we can do any damage, but I think there's going to be victory over the devil. How many of y'all know there's a devil out there? Okay, he's real. The angels are real. Demons are real. The devil's real. And he's the enemy of the church. He tempts you. He accuses you before God. Tries to deceive you. He opposes you when you try to do the work of God and opposes your efforts for the cause of Christ. I believe in spiritual warfare, and I'm definitely not throwing the gauntlet down at the devil. I've fought him enough. I really don't feel like fighting him right now. But I am going to just say in a broad brush here, okay, so that this church understands, stop worrying about the devil. Stop being afraid of the devil. You tell the devil, hit me with your best shot. Because I, I, read, the last, I read the last book of the Bible, and guess what? We win. He doesn't win. We win. We are overcomers through Jesus Christ. Okay? Which means, as a matter of fact, we are more than conquerors because Jesus got in the ring and beat the snot out of the devil and was handed the prize money and then turned around to the church and said, Here, I'll give it to you. It's called redemption and salvation and inheritance of everything that God has. That makes me, Jesus is the conqueror. That makes me more than a conqueror. Okay, so I'm, I have more power than the devil. God has more power under his pinky fingernail than Satan has in all of his kingdom. And brothers and sisters, we have been given power over the enemy. We have been given authority over the enemy. And I believe there is something deeper there when he said that through the church, he's going to build the church. People are going to get saved, born again, full of the Holy Ghost. And he said, I'm going to give you power and authority, and the gates of hell are not going to be stronger than you. And I think it's time for the church to rise up and say, through the power of God, I'm sick of my wife being sick or my husband being sick or having to fight the devil at work or my children being lost, I'm going to start rising up and praying and seeking God and calling on the warring angels and I'm going after him and I'm going to fight and I'm not going to give up. I had a lady down here this morning praying for her children and her grandchildren and we prayed for her, them. And the last thing I said to her was this, don't you stop praying for your kids and your grandkids. Don't you stop. I said, you're standing in the gap and you are the one, the devil's got to go through you and Jesus to get to those children. Don't you stop praying. And I think it's time the church rises up and we start undoing what the devil's done and loose what the devil's bound and heal what the devil's hurt and mend what the devil's broken and shine light in the devil's darkness and tear down his strongholds and bind that strong man up and loot his kingdom. Come on, somebody. I say, let's rise up. Let's do something in these last days. We've got the power. Got more power than the devil. Come on. Let the church be the church. We need to stop worrying about the God is for me. 
Jesus is in me. The angels are all around me. The blood covers me, and the devil can't cross the bloodline. And, and it's time the church, listen, here's what I want to say. I'm going to close with this. Let the church be the church. It's time for the church to be the church. I, I don't care what other churches are going to do, but I'm going to tell you, this church, we're going to let God build the church. And, 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 and we were talking yesterday, some of the pastors, and they were asking me, and some were asking me, they were asking me, Pastor, how do you deal, because these are pastors, some of them said, how do you deal with the cultural issues? And I said, I'll tell you what I do. I just call it out and I preach the word. I said, not too long, because he asked me, he said, you ever deal with drinking? He said, that's a big deal now in their society. I said, yeah, I dealt with it. I said, I preached not too long ago about being full of the Holy Ghost. I said, but I preached a sermon. I preached it about being a drunk and alcohol. Being a drunkard's a sin. It'll send you to hell. Okay? But I also said, I took the moment to tell them I'm not for it. I'm not, I, I'm not for it. I'm against it. I said, and I'm not going to give my church permission. I've heard pastors give their church. I'm not going to give you permission. That's between you and God. I t- and I said, I'm going to, I said, I know that's countercultural. I said, but I don't care. I'm not a businessman. I'm not a politician in the government. I'm not an educator, a professor in some college somewhere. I'm a man of God who's supposed to preach the word of the living God. And I don't give a flying flip what happens in culture. If there are things that are against the word of God, I'm going to stand strong and declare what thus says the Lord. And I I shouldn't be the only one. This church should rise up. We are light and salt. Let's go in our communities and let's impact our communities for Jesus Christ. Come on, stand to your feet all over this church. Hallelujah. Let the church be the church because God's building the church. Amen. And I'm going to tell you, God's not through with high praises. He's not through with us. I think our greatest days are ahead. Did you know that just in the summer months alone, I can vouch for 50 plus people that have come into this church in just over the last three or four months that are now coming to this church. 50 new people who said we love this place and this is where we worship. Over the summer, 50 new people. Now somebody ought to celebrate that this morning. That's God building the church. So in the final minutes of this service, I want you right now where you are to join me in prayer. If you're not saved, oh, I wish you would pray. And you would say, God, I don't want to go down to the gates of hell. I want you to take me to the gates of heaven. Forgive me, cleanse me, change me, wash me. Be my Lord and my Savior. I wish you'd pray that right now. I can't make you. Nobody will make you, but you've got to do it. And I beg you, give your life to Jesus. Give your life to Jesus. I'd get on my hands and knees and I'd crawl. I would humble myself and humiliate myself. I'd crawl on my hands and my knees back to you if I knew that you you would respond to that and come to the altar. Do you hear me? That's how bad and desperately I want to see people come to Jesus. That's what the church is about. It's about lifting up Jesus. And so would you just pray with me and let's say, God, help high praises church. Help me, Lord, to be the church. And God, use me to build the church. Use me, God. Can we pray that? Come on, all over this church, start praying. I finished preaching. Now it's your turn. Respond to the word of the Lord. Father, I thank you for your spirit and your presence that's here. And thank you, Lord, for this word you've given us. You're building the church. And I believe you do it through your people. God, would you anoint us and use us? Help us, God. Don't let us get caught up in this world and distracted. But, Lord, let us be the church. Let us be the church. 
You've changed us. you transformed us. Help us to impact our homes, our neighborhoods, our communities, our, our traveling baseball and soccer teams and whatever else that we're involved in with our kids. Oh, God, just use us, I pray, to have a positive impact because, Lord, we want to see people saved. We want to see people's lives changed. We want to see our family members saved, our friends saved, our coworkers saved, our neighbors saved. God, use us. Use us, God. Keep building the church by bringing people in and know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Thank you, God, that we have a purpose and a destiny, and you're not done with us by any stretch of the imagination. We haven't even scratched the surface because we know you're building this church. We praise you for it. We're ready to work with you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. Be sure to join us Sunday mornings. Our service times are 9 o'clock and 1045. For more information, please visit us at highpraises.org.